This is a new public service podcast brought to you in full by Hachi the Hack. Hachi the Hack probably gives a f- what you think. If you don't like it, then you can find another means of entertainment. Little did you know upon giving this a chance, you have just found the best thing about lockdown. Hachi the Hack is fed up with the media and government sh- and may well let rip. Anything else? I guess followed and enjoy the podcast. Hello there, troops and troopettes, and a very warm welcome to episode two of my Corona podcast. I'm Hodgie the Hack, and I'm your guide on this magical mystery tour as we try to stay sane in lockdown. Episode one saw me talk to two of my good mates involved in football about their experiences during the pandemic, also reflecting on funny stories and memories from their football career, so check that out if you haven't already. But today we go in a different direction. In episode two, we're going to be looking at the topic of social media and mental health, kind of together, but kind of separate, and how they sort of interrelate during this crisis. And with me, to that end, I have two veritable experts on both of those topics. First up, our social media mastermind is a guy who has basically taken the art of social channel satire to a new level, particularly within the prism of Scottish football. And since then, he's also become an award-winning columnist and writer. It's the whip behind the Old Fun Facts Twitter account. Hello to Adam Miller. How are you doing, Adam? Not too bad, Hodgie. Thanks very much for having me on. How you get, how you getting on? Ah, well, just try to keep on top of things, mate. You know how it is in the, in the current weird circumstances. Um, yep. Secondly, joining us from slightly more tropical climes over in Malaysia, but hailing originally from the tune I was born, Irvin, is mindfulness author. And by the way, that's not tropical at all. Mindfulness author and psychotherapist Sandy Clark. Sandy, long time no speak, but not really. How are you doing, my man? It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks. And uh, I'm loving your liberal use of the word expert, uh, but I'll take <laughs> it anyway. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm great. Thanks. I uh, hope you're doing well over there as well. Aye, no, well, the experts fine, mate. We, we, like, but everyone's tired of experts. That's what they, t- they tell us now, anyway. Um, now, as promised, before we begin, to listeners that have listened to the first thing, they'll know that I, I basically say how I expect today's podcast to go down in, in terms of an alcoholic drink. I use that comparison, and again, ironic as I'm a teetotaler. But me and my wee production ninja, we were thinking maybe today's is going to be a bit like a Jaeger bomb and that we expect it to, to be tasty with a wee bit of a kick and hopefully over that quickly that is leaving you wanting more. But in case we blether on for a bit, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to hedge my bets and say instead it's a cosmopolitan, tasty, a bit refined, and of course that's the type of gentleman I've got on today anyway. Um, and as ever, have your listening devices at the ready at the end of the podcast. We don't have a right to play music, but we will suggest a tune each that we've picked which is just designed to help you get on with your day and maybe if you're feeling a wee bit down, pick you up a wee bit. But first, let's learn a wee bit about you two lads. So Sandy, first, we'll, we'll start off with, with you. You started off as a hack like myself and I have to give you a vote of thanks because after the cataclysmic defeat, as I felt it, in the Scottish independence referendum, I was obviously quite a strong advocate for the yes vote, I, you kind of picked me up from, from, from the doldrums. I was on the dole and stuff like that, really struggling for the motivation. And we did the, the Irvin Life magazine, short-lived as it was, together. Um, but your background was as a journalist before you moved into to what you're doing now. So can you tell us a wee bit about that, that sort of journey? Yeah, I, I'm a recovering um, local journalist who became a, a psychotherapist, so make of that what you will. Aye, it was, a, it was an interesting uh, journey, like you say, for me in that, you know, when I was doing the rounds with, with uh, local papers like the Urban Herald and, and, and doing one or two wee shifts at the record, um, you get to meet a lot of interesting people and a lot of interesting stories. And 
you know, you pick up kind of wee quirks and wee uh, fascinating insights into people's lives. And um, eventually I was just kind of led towards, I'd always had an interest in, in, in psychology and psychotherapy. And um, when I moved to Malaysia, that was the sort of perfect chance to, to sort of delve into that. And so here I am. Yes, indeed. Then you've got yourself, Adam. So the Old Firm Facts Twitter account, it's quite an interesting story you told me before about how that started. Should should obviously say, at Old Firm Facts 1. How come you couldn't get the original Old Firm Facts? And then tell us a wee bit about just how, how, how it sort of started and stuff. It was There was no great master plan for uh, you know the direction Old Firm Facts was going to go in and I had no idea that it was going to take off in the way that it did. It was purely just a case of um, a friend of mine, Stevie, um, who is part of the Extreme Polls podcast, which I was actually on the other day as well. Uh, he basically spent, we used to work together and he spent ages saying to me, oh, you need to get a Twitter account. And when he was saying that to me, my only sort of knowledge of Twitter was this thing that I would see sort of relatively twee quotes from <laughs> Stephen Fry getting repeated in the metro or whatever and I'm thinking is, is are we talking about the same thing here and I, I didn't really see the appeal of it and then if, after a while I think I thought of a couple of football related jokes and I was thinking well I could either text these to Stevie or I could just I might as well set up one of these Twitter accounts and again there was no real uh, master plan or anything like that I just stuck the tweets out he shared them and then a couple of other people shared them and after a while the nature of Twitter it starts to grow um, and after, you know, after a few months, it became a thing that I thought I could see taking off and I spent a bit more time on it. And I think the material maybe started to get a bit better <laughs> and I started to, hopefully anyway, and I started to find a voice with it and over time it's grown and yeah, it's something I still really enjoy doing. Well, that's the thing. And I mean, it really has blown up. I think 65,000 followers last time I checked. Mm-hmm. Was, there, was there any particular bit of content or whatever that, that was the, the catalyst for it really beginning to, to gain momentum and snowball? It's, it's hard to pinpoint an exact moment. Stevie was saying the other day that there was a tweet I'd made around uh, Dave, David Templeton. I couldn't actually remember the exact tweet, but the, the one that stuck out, the first time that I, I, I sat and watched numbers really jump up on it was um, they'd made a, just a daft pun about the German Germany keeper Manuel Neuer, and uh, it was him saying, I'm going to save this, and then Scotland player scored against him going, no, you're not. Or something like that and then it just it's sort of just you that was the first time I'd looked at my phone and thought wow people are really into this and you know that does give you a bit of a buzz the first time it happens oh no definitely I mean I've had um I've never had a tweet go viral but I've had what's <laughs> I'm not I'm not um a clinician but um what's the what's the step below viral um in terms of like slightly contagious. I've had the odd slightly contagious tweet, and it's it's quite a buzz. Um, and we're going to come on to talk about social media in a wee bit more detail. But in terms of that, yourself, Sandy, um, have you ever had anything that's that's kind of gone sort of big on Twitter that you've you've really enjoyed, or any particular sort of social media viral experiences in your own career? I had a, an interest in. Um, kind of experience during the the whole Brexit thing. This was maybe a few months before the vote. Um, And of course, at that point, it was getting really, you know, the debate was heating up and people were getting really kind of frustrated and angry and vitriolic and all that stuff was going on. And I I put out, it was just a tweet about, um, you know, here's how to deal with kind of anger and agitation and five steps, that kind of thing. 
Um, and it, it took off. And it was, it was really weird because for a long time before then, I tried to be really witty and really kind of, you know, like <laughs> profound and deep. And just this thing I threw out suddenly took off. You know, it was one of those things that you put together while you're, you know, boiling the kettle or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really quite a fascinating um, platform in, in terms of what sticks and what doesn't. No, I think you're right. And I mean, you obviously, with your sort of mindfulness and, and obviously being Buddhist as well, you're probably very much um, au fait with the idea that you immerse yourself in the process rather than look at the end output. But I find it quite interesting that again, I think the, I can't remember what the, the most contagious tweet that I had was, but I'm pretty sure it was something just quite organic as well. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that the start of your account, Adam, it was kind of organic and, and semi-accidental and, and same with yourself, Sandy. Yeah. It's just something kind of off the cuff so i think that kind of shows something about the medium and and also the benefits of of staying grounded and something without necessarily thinking oh i want this to go viral you know mm-hmm. i think it's i think there's a danger there i think if you start if you start writing things with the aim of going viral um then you're you're overthinking it and you're you're trying to pander to an audience that isn't necessarily there. The, the guiding principle for me has always been, do I personally find it funny? Because I know from my own life outside Twitter that I've got friends that have a similar sense of humour, so that, that to me validates the idea that there's at least a few other people who would find it funny. And then, you know, you find that there, are, there is actually an audience for that kind of thing. Whereas if you just try and put the most sort of generic joke or the most generic reference in, you might get lots of people who find it quite funny, but no one who'll find it hilarious. Without any shadow of a doubt, my Corona podcast is exactly what you should be listening to during the lockdown. The host, Hodgie the Hack, is absolutely brilliant. And I hear he's now got a producer in Oi Oi Sue as well. Plenty of reasons to sign up to the My Corona Club. It's now on iTunes as well. Search for My Corona Podcast and make sure to listen rate and subscribe extraordinary absolutely extraordinary so there's a good friend former celtic manager martin o'neill there telling you what you should be doing you should be subscribing to this podcast so get on the case now let's delve into the topic of social media in a wee bit more detail um and i'll start off by telling you a wee bit about my own experience so i've tended not to not to go on as much on social media at the moment now i am I find it really hard when I go on. Um, I mean, we're all familiar with the concepts of trolls and, and sort of things like that, but that's not really what's, what's getting me down when I go on. I think it's just the the element of it's just all voices trying so loud to be heard. And I have been guilty of that in the past myself because obviously I think my opinions are, are my opinions and everyone should hear them. Um, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be said for, for just taking that step back to and 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 not being scared to, to kind of just let sort of everything play out and, and maybe not participate by, by sticking your oar in directly. Um, earlier this month, mm-hmm. I had a short break because somebody actually said to me, they, they, they basically said, Hodgie, look, everything that you're putting up is negative at the moment. And that's because I'm angry at the, the government's complete mismanagement of this crisis. But, or, or, well, at least my opinion is, is, the, is of that. 
And I actually took the advice on board. I thought, take a wee short break and just maybe not be... Because um, you don't want to bring folk down. I'm not that kind of person. I don't want to be going on there and folk going... I mean, I think we should be shining a light on on stuff that's maybe not enough attention's being paid to it in terms of the mismanagement of this crisis. But you also don't want to be just that crabbit guy at the back of the pub that's just moaning, you know? So mm-hmm. I, like, I think that's why I tended to do that. But what about you, lads? How? Because obviously this whole prism of coronavirus, COVID-19, has changed the way that social media is, the way it's appearing, even the way that folk are using it. So have any of you lads done, has there been any changes to the way that you utilise social media as a result of of the, the current situation at all? I think for me, I'm not under any illusion as to why people follow my account. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, people could call me arrogant, but I, I'm not arrogant enough to think that people are following a Scottish football comedy Twitter account to hear political views. Yeah. That being said, you know, I, I do try and sneak in a few here and there. And if I can do that within a joke, then all the better. But, you know, people are following accounts like mine for escapism. But yeah. Yeah. at the same time, through, you know, through the jokes and the columns and all the rest of it, have built up a reasonable following. And I think at a time like this, it's, you know, there are responsible ways that you can use that following. So for me, I know that, a large chunk of my audience are, you know, not all of them by a long shot, but a, a large chunk of my audience would be men between sort of 18 to 34. Um, and you're appropriate market research there, eh? <laughs> that's it. That's it. Uh, but within that group, obviously, mental health is a huge thing. And I've always been quite a strong advocate um, of mental health awareness on my account. But mm-hmm. at this time, um, you know, it's, it's blindingly obvious that that is a really significant issue at the moment with the lockdown. So I've made a conscious effort every day to be retweeting and tweeting and highlighting uh, any sort of advice, helplines, or anything that might even if it's just one person seeing it. To me, that's you know, for you know if if one person sees it and it and it gives them a little bit of support or makes them feel a little bit better that day. To me, that justifies doing it. So I've been making throughout the throughout the lockdown so far, I've been making a, a more conscious attempt to be highlighting that kind of thing on my account. I think, I think that's very sensible. What about yourself, Sandy? Um, how, how do you look at it in, in, in sort of terms of that kind of stuff? I think Adam made a really good point, um, which is that especially during the, this lockdown, um, there are heightened levels of stress and anxiety and, and people who have maybe more severe conditions are perhaps feeling that a bit more as well. Um, so it, it, it does affect people, what they read on social media, um, and how they interpret it more to the point. Um, so I mean, that, that, that's something to keep in mind as well, that we can often share something with the, you know, with good intention or, you know, thinking it's just a a wee joke or whatever. Um, and you know, somebody can read that and, and it can really change their, you know, can change their day really um, if, if it affects them in, in such a profound way, um, either positively or otherwise. Um, so I think with, I mean, personally for me, I've been trying to just share, share a lot of positive stuff, a lot of advice, like Adam had mentioned, um, with that mindset that look, there are people out there who might only have social media as their sort of um, way to communicate with the world if they're isolated by themselves or in a situation where it's not a fun time at home. Um, So it's really important for me to try and kind of, you know, 
push as much positivity as possible and, and try to share stuff that's going to lift people up rather than, as you mentioned earlier on, um, you know, when you start to read a lot of negativity, when you get involved in online arguments, social media, it does have an emotional effect on you. And mm. quite often you don't uh, realize that straight away, but you do feel the effects. And then, you know, quite often that can lead to, to more problems down the line. I no, I think that's definite. Uh, I mean, for me, it's <laughs> it's good that you two are trying to be positive, and I, I've tried to kind of do a bit more of that since since that wee break that I had. But I think part of the problem comes in the the fact that that everything seems so pointed at the moment on social media. Like it's it, mm-hmm. it's almost like there's you guys are obviously making deliberate attempts to 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 modify your behaviour based on what other people think or what other people mm-hmm. may be wanting or expecting. But I think a lot of people are just going on there and it's essentially their platform to, to self-salve or to, to, to just have a, a blast at things or, or, you know, and do you think mm-hmm. there's a responsibility amongst people to, to try and use social media in a way that's, that's less self-serving and maybe a I, bit more towards looking at the greater good? I think there is when, you've, when you get a, a reasonable following. I think, you know, if, you, if you're talking, if, you, if you've got... 40 45 followers you know you're, you're not necessarily unless someone with a larger account picks that up you're you're not necessarily whatever you're saying isn't necessarily going to be amplified um but when you do have a certain amount of followers once you get past a certain point you have to there is a certain level of responsibility that comes with that because you know it's one thing when you're making sort of innocuous jokes but when you're talking about serious subjects you know you i've had people for instance um send me dms before that it's happened once or twice where I've been talking negatively about people and I'm thinking that I'm coming at this angle from a sort of left-wing and liberal perspective and talking about people being ignorant but in the course of doing that I've maybe used language terms like someone someone sent me a dm ages ago um, about a word that I'd used that I'd never heard but uh, there were any issues with it I think it maybe called someone a moron uh, but I was talking about a politician, probably like Farage or someone. And, you know, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking I'm making a kind of progressive viewpoint. And she sent me a DM just saying, it was very respectful and saying, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there are sort of ableist connotations to that word, you know. And I, I'd never thought of that in my life. I'd never, mm. you know, I, I, it would have never occurred to me. And, not, and what I really appreciated was the fact that she hadn't just shared my tweet and called me out and said, look at this ableist idiot, you know, or whatever. She'd actually, um, she'd appreciated the fact that I hadn't, you know, meant, there was no intent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So know, it's seeking to educate yeah. rather than, than, yeah. than vilify, you know. Exactly. So I was more conscious, you know, after that of the sort of terminology that I would use, even when I'm thinking what I'm saying is completely unimpeachable because it's coming from a place of, positivity or it's coming from you know a well-meaning place you can still offend or you can still unintentionally upset people so i think there is um you know when you have all sorts of people you know as would happen if you have a certain amount of people following you you're going to have people from all walks of life with all sorts of different experiences if you're talking about a serious subject i think there is a responsibility there to just read back what you've written before you tweet it and just think is there anything there that could be misinterpreted or that could inadvertently upset someone so mm. you know I, I just appreciated the fact that someone approached me by dm and did it in that sort of respectful way rather than the kind of call out culture that you get on twitter 
It's, I mean, it's the old, you catch more flies with honey, you know, um, yeah. and be, be trying to do it that way. Just as the flip side of what I was saying before, though, um, with regards to the positivity on social media, some people say you maybe are living alone um, and, and you're struggling in this crisis. Maybe a wee moan online to your following might do, might do the world a good as well. So, so there is room for different things mm-hmm. and, and different forms. And I mean, it, it does come in all different forms. You probably saw the the, the, the woman, <laughs> uh, the lover puddling woman who lost her parrot. Chanel, where's me parrot? Oh, yes. And I, I mean, everyone's watching that. And obviously it's that old thing of like, that, that woman's probably doing that as a, as a sort of help me please find my parrot. And then social media being social media, it gets interpreted in an entirely different way because it was, it was blooming hilarious. So <laughs> it's sometimes quite hard to control the message and the way that people respond to it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, once it's out there, you know, people bring their own baggage and their own prejudices and their own beliefs into everything that they read. So you could have a, a tweet or a news report or anything and it, it could be, you know, I could put out a tweet about Celtic and Rangers and depending on who you support, you could be reading that tweet and my intentions in a completely different manner. Um, and ultimately, you don't have much control over that, so it's not worth once it's out there. You know, if you know that it, that you put the thought into it and that you know that you had good intentions and that there is nothing offensive in there and that it's a neutral tweet, if people want to bring their own baggage to that, uh, then there's not much you can do. You, there's no point in losing sleep over that. That's fine, though, when it's just football and innocuous stuff. But when it's uh, when it's more serious issues, be it politics, mental health, or anything else along those lines, then you know that is that does kind of not wear you down, but it is that kind of cause for concern if people are misinterpreting that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the old you can't please all of the people all, all of the time. In terms of the way that stuff's coming across, I mean, and be interested to hear your view on this, Sandy. There's a lot of themes developing. Um, so, like, I've seen quite a lot of a lot of TikTok stuff. Um, I've seen a lot of the the, the sort of like viral things, like keepy uppy challenges and and that kind of thing. There's also a bit of the kind of keeping up with the Joneses culture now pervading. It's like who's winning at lockdown. And is there a danger that, that, that people are making a bit of a competition now on, online? And, and then with your sort of mental health expertise, could that have quite a, quite a detrimental effect? So I think, um, I mean, to build on what Adam was talking about, is it's really tricky to strike that balance between, um, especially when you're communicating, um, you know, what point do you draw the line um, where you're, you're almost afraid to put something out? But I, I think... Uh, you know, underlying Adam's point, I think, was the intention um, and, and the context of, of, of the information that you're putting out. So when you're doing things like um, the T-shirt challenge or the keep you up challenge, I don't think there's a there's a problem with that. That's just people trying to, you know, keep themselves occupied, having a bit of fun. Um, where it does become an issue is when we forget that we're in a pandemic. So we, we might not Uh, associate the idea of grief or trauma or loss with this kind of situation because it feels like nothing to to most people who are in relatively uh, comfortable positions. So you're, you're staying at home, you're all right, you've you've got food on the table, you're able to survive quite comfortably. Um, But the reality for everybody is that 
life has changed um, and quite quickly. Um, we, are, we have lost a lot of little rituals like going to work or even going to the park or whatever. Uh, all these wee freedoms that you took for granted before have now been restricted. So what has kind of emerged from that is that, you know, you see these, I, I saw a tweet, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago and it was just, it was awful. It said something like, um, if after this lockdown, you haven't picked up a new skill, you don't yeah. lack time, you lack discipline. And I thought, what a, what a terrible message that is yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I know, I know you guys might be the same that, you know, people with young kids, for example. Um, and if there's any productivity, contest go and they, they've won that hands down already um so but what happens is people start to feel guilty because they feel like oh that person on social media they're learning a new language they're doing more cooking they're um you know doing online parties or, or workout group activities or whatever um and and they're comparing themselves so what i would say to people is um you know remember you are in a pandemic it's not a holiday and there are emotional uh, implications to this we, we have um you know kind of upended our lives in a sense that we've had to adapt quite quickly to these changes and that does have an emotional cost so um whatever you're comfortable with doing then then do it more power to you but don't feel the need that you have to buy into people's expectations or you have to take part in whatever you need to do well if yeah. you're taking yeah if you're taking care of your commitments if you're doing your work if you're looking after your family Anything that you're doing beyond that is, is completely up to you. You should not feel the need to buy into people's expectations or feel like you're somehow inadequate um, for not, you know, learning how to code within a weekend or learning Spanish by tea time. Um, that's just unrealistic. Yeah, no, I saw I the tweet that... that Sandy was referring to. I thought uh, I saw the same tweet and I had the same kind of reaction to it. I just thought it's such an irresponsible message to be putting out at a time like this. And to, mm. like, you know, I, I've been in, you know, I've, I've been in isolation with my, my wife for the last six weeks or so now. And you do have days where, you know, you think, well, that, that was quite good. Got a few things done. And then you have days where you just, it's a bit of a blank and you go to bed thinking that was just a nothing day. But I think you have to acclimatize to the uniqueness of this situation and accept that you, you're, you're going to have days where nothing is achieved. And that's totally fine to, to my mind an achievement here is just not succumbing to the restlessness or like the impatience and wandering out into the street and, you know, putting other people in danger just by staying home and being disciplined in that sense and being responsible. That should be an achievement in itself. You don't have to worry about all, you know, what, what people are doing on Instagram or Snapchat or the rest of it. Just actually being responsible and not putting other people in danger should be considered an achievement, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's unprecedented times, isn't it? But who's to say that somebody that's learned to knit is any better than someone sitting binging Ozark like I was on Netflix, exactly. you know? I mean, there's nothing to say that. But there's also the kind of cultural sort of side of, of people just seeking to have a go at other people for what they're doing. So I saw on Facebook, for example, there was a woman who was, who was outed for not going out to clap on a Thursday night. Um, and, 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 and that's just, what, what, what benefit is that doing? Um, another one was the, the TikTok thing with the NHS workers being criticised when they went viral on, on the five minutes of respite as they put their, their lives and their bodies in the line um, at, at mm. the front line of the health service. Um, and people are criticizing Kate Hopkins, who's obviously an absolute divot. Um, she's criticizing them. She has a birthday with me, by the way. That's something that, that, <laughs> that all troubles me to this day. Her and Jerry Springer, <laughs> they're the two I remember. Anyway, <clears throat> you've got people criticizing NHS workers for doing something really, really cool and really, really just uplifting. 
right? So, so they're, they're basically, they're going on a double positive there. They're doing, obviously, the great work that they're doing, putting their lives and bodies in the line, and then they're doing something positive that will lift people's spirits, and they're still getting criticised for it. I mean, yeah. what is... What is the benefit of, of that kind of approach? Like, it, it just, I, I think there needs to be a sea change in, in how people begin to, to look at things. It's just, it's just, it's just disheartening for me. And, and I, think, I think there needs to be more responsibility taken. Is there a problem here? Fucking out when they shouldn't be. No social distancing happening. Well, if you lot don't stop jumping about like dafties, then I'll tie your intestines in a monkey's fist knot. Stay home and stay sane by listening to this podcast. Right, now back to that idiot to talk about mental health now. My, my, my kind of thing with mental health is at the start of this pandemic, I was just struggling to lift myself out of bed. Now, I've had mm-hmm. um, depression in the past. I've, I've had my, my, my times. Weaves. I think I've spoken with, with both of you guys about it um, at different points. And at the start of this pandemic, I basically was, was kind of floating the idea of, of more just why is this happening than anything else. Mm-hmm. And it was, I found it quite debilitating, actually, um, mm. to, to, to kind of get to the point where I was thinking, you know, what is the point here? Um, and it was quite similar to the, the period that I mentioned earlier where, I mean, I really struggled after the independence referendum. Um, and, and it did sort of like really, well, I was down for quite a while after that. And then mm-hmm. me and Sandy sort of came together and, and I got back into work and it, it kind of lifted me. But I mean, the other thing from my own perspective is once the sport stopped, I essentially stopped in terms of working. So like, there's no football, there's no basketball, then there's no Hodgie the Hack, really, until he comes back with yeah. his podcast. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people all going through different, different experiences, different challenges at this time. And the whole lockdown factor, the whole fact that the news is, I mean, it's not even just scaremongering now, it's just scary news all the time. And mm-hmm. I mean, there comes there comes for everyone a saturation point. I'm a journalist that can't really bear watching the news now because of mm-hmm. that fact. There was someone in, uh, someone close to me who, who died in 2016, and it, she died of cancer. But through I met her when I was 22, and before that, I had no real understanding of depression and anxiety. You know, I, I was maybe a you know, felt quite low a lot of the time, but I, it wasn't on the same level as what she was experiencing. And I think uh, knowing her gave me a sort of greater appreciation of that kind of thing. And then through uh, through Twitter, I think there are pros and cons in terms of mental health with Twitter. In that uh, you're you, you learn you can become a lot more savvy about these subjects and a lot more informed about them. But by merely being on Twitter quite a lot, it can have a detrimental effect on your mental health. In terms of yourself, Sandy, you deal with these kind of things every day uh, and that kind of thing. So what impact is this pandemic having in, in terms of the amount of people with problems and the nature of them, would you say, from what you can sort of suggest? So, I mean, certainly this situation has uh, amplified um people's um, sort of mental health issues. And I think across the board, mental health services are, are seeing a rise in the number of people looking out for support and especially with anxiety because um, 
I mean, you have anxiety is basically a fear of what might happen. Um, so it's like an abstract threat. And of course, when you're looking at a virus that you can see that we don't really know much about at the moment, the information is constantly evolving and we don't really know where the, the sort of end, end of the line comes. Um, so that, that gives a real kind of pressure on people who might be experiencing or, or, or kind of disposed towards anxiety um, in, in terms of, you know, you feel that more intensely at the moment. And because they are unsure, they find themselves in, in this state of uncertainty. And it's not like, it's not like, um, like say, during the, the, the war, let's say, you kind of knew who you were fighting and you could sort of see what was happening. Um, you know, you could sort of tell if things were going well or not so well. At this point in time with this, this health crisis, none of that information is available. There's, there's just no, it's all guesswork. Um, so that, that really leads to that amplification, that intensification of, of people's um, sort of symptoms and experiences with things like anxiety and depression. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the quite harrowing statistics um, that I saw was 21% of the United Kingdom are now worried about their mental health because of this pandemic. Now, that's that's one in five people. And then if you consider even the, the, the fact that some people, I mean, there's a lot less of a stigma than there used to be, but maybe some people are still ashamed to admit that, then you could you could even sort of potentially suggest that a quarter of people even are, are are now worried about their mental health if, if you take that in as a mitigating factor and um, those from statista.com those, those stats now if that's the case um how how do we how do we look at sort of maybe preempting the the steps we can take to tackle this um is there is there some way we can maybe look at it and say right this is what we need to do to try and get through this. And then we can obviously deal with the fallout later. Is there anything preemptively that we can kind of try and, and put in place in terms of the way we look at things, the way we tackle things, the way we behave um, to help both ourselves and help other people that, that, that you can think? I think one of the, one of the ways that people can help themselves, um, and, and you touched on this, is to check in on the news less often. Um, th th that makes quite a difference because what you have is, especially with people with anxiety, they're constantly checking the news. They're constantly looking at the updates in terms of the case numbers, in terms of the death tolls. Um, and, and that doesn't sit well with them as, as, as you can imagine. Um, so you do get people who are almost obsessive in terms of, you know, they're checking in on social media, they're checking in on the news. Um, and one of the ways you can, you can reduce, you, one of the practical steps that you can take is to, is to reduce the amount of time you do check in on the news. When the, when the BBC started, um, there, there used to be someone who would, would come on the, the radio and say, um, tonight there is no news. Uh, and that would be the news. There, there is no news. But now you have rolling 24-7 24, 24 uh, opinion and you know conjecture. And along with the headlines, like you say, there's a lot of mm. sensationalism there as well. Um, so it's no really news in a sense that you're getting updated information that's 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 um, you know helpful or that it's informative necessarily. It's just basically kind of, kind of evoking or invoking all kinds of, kinds of emotions. Um, so when you when you're kind of kept in that cycle of constantly checking in on the news, you're just hearing that same negativity repeated over and over and over again. And it's there's a term for it. It's called emotional contagion. And basically, you'll, you'll have this with people that you spend time with. 
if you're within a group of people who are really positive and uplifting, chances are you'll feel the effects of that. Similarly, when you're in a group of uh, people who are quite like melancholy or they're quite doer, um, you know, again, that'll impact how you're feeling. So it's the same with the news and, and how you can sort of counteract that in a sense is that you can, you know, look for positive stuff. Like if there's NGOs or if there's even any positive news in the local press, um, focus on the good stuff that people are doing. Um, you know, look for the sort of lighthearted news, the funny stuff, um, just to give yourself that break from all that negativity. I mean, just on the point we were previously saying, there's a thin line between being informed and overwhelming yourself with the news. Um, and, and those stats I quoted, by the way, that's, I should have clarified, that's not people who were already worried about their mental health before lockdown. So that's, that's basically sort of at least one in five, maybe one in four new people worried um, about that, which suggests that there's something, um, something to, 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 to sort of worry about. Like, you know... Um, like in terms of the, the, the direction this is going and in, in terms of yourself, Adam, sort of just mm -hmm. being in that kind of lockdown period, uh, is, have you had any other sort of cases of, of people close to you where, where you've noticed this having an impact in a different way, um, maybe since oh. it started? Well, I mean, I just personally, you know, I've been in, I've been indoors since the, the 12th of March and I've uh, I'm immunocompromised, so uh, according to the letters that I've received from the government, you know, I should not be leaving the flat at all. So I've, I've been out once in the last six weeks, and that was for a hospital appointment. So I have been cooped up, and, you know, thankfully my wife's here as well, and she's been very patient, and she's stayed in as well because she doesn't want to catch and pass it on to me. Um, but you do feel there are days where you really feel it, where, you know, you might be looking at Instagram and everyone's got a picture in the sun in their garden or at the park or whatever. And you're thinking, well, that's lovely for you, but I'm, I'm stuck in these four walls and I can't get out. And it, by the same token, they've probably seen me posting things about my wife's birthday the other day and they've, they're thinking, well, they've got a garden, but they might be in on their own, you know, so everyone's fighting their own battles here. Um, but for me, there, you're, some days are easier than others. Yesterday, I think, was probably the worst day I've had. And it wasn't, you know, nothing specifically bad happened yesterday. Mm. I just felt this sort of blankness, this sort of, I don't know if it was kind of, if things were just getting a bit overwhelming with, you know, the, the fact that this is going to stretch on, presumably for quite a while. But it, it was just a sort of blankness. It wasn't necessarily an unhappiness, but it was just some days you feel it taking its toll more than others. And I think those are days when it's, it's good to have people around you that you can talk to. And so that's, that's been a help for me. And again, coming back to my wife being very patient, we both said to each other, we, we both have the odd day here and there where we're struggling with it. And we're thankful that we've got the other person there to just either talk, talk it through with them or just give them the space that they need. So, you know, she understands that, you know, I might not want to talk it through. And it's just a case of giving each other space, even when you're in sort of relatively close quarters. But yeah, it's... Um, you do see it from whether it be people posting on Facebook. What what I've noticed a lot, sadly, on Twitter in the last few weeks, um, I'm seeing quite a lot of people post about how unhappy they are and about how much it is taking its toll on them. And I think uh, any you know that's again one of the main motivations for me in, in regularly sharing 
messages or helplines and anything relating to mental health awareness at this point is the fact that a situation like this really has exacerbated whether they are underlying issues with depression or whether whether it's inducing those sort of feelings at the moment in people who hadn't previously struggled um but you know i, th I think the, the good thing about twitter right now um is that there's as you sort of mentioned earlier the stigma has really been removed or not, mm. not completely but there's been real improvement in that area and so people do feel a lot more open to talking about that kind of thing yeah, I think that's a definite. Just in terms of the, those sort of things beginning to manifest, though, Sandy, do, do you have any kind of advice for, for someone like Adam um, who's, who's beginning to feel a wee bit that way? Because I think loads of us that, that maybe didn't have um, these battles uh, to, to, to sort of tackle on a, on a regular basis, it's beginning to manifest with people just from the, the whole sort of cabin fever being stuck in the four walls, you know? Um, so with that in mind, uh, is there any sort of steps people can take that you would recommend in terms of just trying to keep the heat, basically? So I think the first thing is to recognise again that we are in a pandemic and it does take an emotional toll, as Adam was saying, that sometimes you are going to have good days, other times you're, you're going to have not so good days. And that's a normal response. So quite often people think that, you know, I shouldn't be feeling this way or I don't know why I'm feeling this way. So I, so I really should be feeling quite happy because, you know, I'm in a, a relatively comfortable position or whatever. Um, but ultimately, everybody's human and you're going to have those days and those times where, you know, you, you do feel up against it. Um, so I think the first step is to recognize that that's a natural response. Second of all, um, again, Adam mentioned about, um, you know, we can't really see the, the, the end point or we don't know what's coming next. And I think a really important thing, and, and this is certainly a mindfulness um, sort of technique, if you like, is to just try and take it one day at a time. Because when, you're, when, when the mind wanders, especially if, it, if it's based on anxiety, then inevitably it spirals into a kind of negative narrative. And what that does is it feeds back onto yourself. So you start thinking negatively about yourself and about your situation. Whereas there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a term in, in research, it's called act aware. So it's basically when, you, when, you, when you're, let's say just going about your, your day, even if you're not feeling that great, you can, you can just concentrate on, right, okay, I'm, I'm in this time, I'm, I'm feeling this way, it's, it's okay, it's normal. Um, it'll pass, um, you know, and just try and be in that, that day that you're in, just that experience that you're in. Because when we think about, um, you know, time that's going to come and I don't know if this thing's going to end or when it's going to end, it just creates this sense of overwhelm. Um, I think like Adam mentioned, like sometimes you can just have that feeling of, oh, it's just not happening the, the day. And a lot of the time that's because people feel overwhelmed because they can't yeah. get a sense of control about what's happening. And that's, that's another point as well, that just recognize that, um, you know, you can't control what you feel. You can't control how the other person feels as well. So Adam made a really good point about giving each other space. So if you're in a family where, you know, things are getting a bit agitated, like people feel like no quite right, voice that out and just say, look, I need maybe five or 10 minutes just to go away into a room or a corner of the apartment or the, the flat or the house and just to spend time by myself. And I'll be all right after maybe five or 10 minutes. I just need to clear my head because sometimes when you feel um, anxious or depressed, you feel as if you have to put up a front for the other person or the other people. 
like I'm all right. And, and we're really quite good at, at, at sort of keeping ourselves going and to put on that front. But actually, it's much more um, of a healthier process just to say to people. And I think what you guys had mentioned earlier about people becoming more aware about their mental health and it's actually okay to talk about it. And that, that's probably, probably one of the few positives to come out of this. Um, so just to have that presence of mind to say to people, look, I'm really not feeling great at the moment. Um, I'd rather not talk. I just need a wee bit of time to myself and to allow other people that space as well whenever they need it so that that way you can kind of recognize each other's need just to go away with your emotions and let them be. Um, and just finally, what I would say as well is don't try to don't try to suppress your emotions or what you're feeling. Um, quite often, uh, the damage that comes from stress isn't the the big things that we imagine, like loss or trauma, or you lose your job or whatever. It's the wee things that build up and compound yeah, totally. over time. And and the reason why um, you know, you end up kind of imploding or, or having a breakdown is because you don't give yourself that time to just let your emotions come. Uh, that's a bit of a kind of Scottish cultural thing as well, you know, that kind of stoicism, like everything's yeah, all right. definitely. Um, especially among men, which is which is which can be quite frightening as well. But just to have that presence of mind to say, look, I'm really not feeling great. Um, I'm just going to go away and just sit with those emotions and feel what I have to feel. If you have to cry, if you have to vent a wee bit, then you can do that in your own wee space and, and that's perfectly fine. And that will help you to process the emotion rather than to keep it bottled up. So it acts like a wee pressure valve um, and it just helps you to sort of de-stress so that those emotions are only building up over time. Yeah, no, I think I think that's really good advice and hopefully some helpful stuff for Adam and, and, and for other people. Yeah. Um, now, I think one thing, I mean, everybody's got their own battle. So just to, to sort of give a better perspective for me, I have fallen in love since we were last together. Um, we're, we're either of the two yourselves, and that's a beautiful thing. But I'm in a position now where I've, I've met someone that I feel is really, really special to me, and I can't see her bar and FaceTime and, and various other sort of messaging and video calling apps. And I think the, the, the key battle here is to, to try and just do the thing where you say, you know what, right, this is obviously a terrible situation, but like, look at how it will probably make, I mean, in my case, my relationship stronger and mm-hmm. the try and look at the, the, the element of like short-term pain for long-term gain. If you can try and maybe sort of fix your, you can account your thinking in that sort of mindset, then then maybe that can be can be helpful, you know? And I think another thing to mm-hmm. bear in mind is, although we don't know when or how this is going to end, I mean, surely it's going to end one day. There will be a vaccine. There will be a time when you reunite with friends, with family. And every day that we're going through this pain, going through this anguish, anguish rather, is a day closer to that eventual day, that eventual yeah. thing. And I mean, obviously, like, we all like football, for example, that day when you're able to go to football or go to a gig or, or do all of those things again. Um, I mean, it may be that the pandemic and the lockdown is lifted before we can do that, but it'll, it'll probably be a gradual rebuilding process. But the one thing that you maybe think is after all of this is by, after it's all finished, then perhaps we will cherish just the wee things more. Just being able to go and have a coffee or have a pint with your mate 
I mean, it's going to be such a buzz. And surely, I mean, eventually it might regress back to some sort of mean, but at least in the short term, there might be a bit of that. What I imagine, obviously I didn't live through it, but you know that kind of spirit there must have been after the war where everyone's together and obviously <laughs> the, the country sort of rebuilt itself from the ashes. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a bit of that kind of spirit kicking about. And that's surely going to be a positive thing. Yeah, I would, I would have thought so. I mean, for, for me, you, I think one of the big things that life lacks at the moment is a sense of routine. And then when you have, you know, prior to the lockdown, you had your routine. If you had a job, then you had your working week. But then those sort of freedoms that you talked about, like going for a coffee or going for a pint and all the rest of it, those were uh, the sort of bonuses that, so in the course of a week, you'd have your, here's my sort of rigid nine to five or whatever, and then there's the, the bonuses that I get for doing that. And now you don't have the routine and you also don't have the bonus. And all of that just sort of knocks you for six. I think for me, the you know, at the moment, the, the lack of routine, I really miss going into the office. And I, you know, I, I'm not saying I, you know, I didn't ever think in my life I'd go, I really miss doing a job, but I do miss doing my job. You know, I was furloughed a few weeks ago. So for me, one of the big things when when we come out of all this will be a return to routine. I mean, hopefully I've still got a job, but, you know, if I do, it'll be that return to a sense of structure about your day, a reason to get up at a specific time. And then that'll make, you know, those those moments where I get to meet my friends in the pub or go out for dinner with my wife and, you know, meet up with my family and all that kind of thing. Those Those will be, as you say, they'll be really extra sweet. Yeah, I think that's true. And it says everything that you missed that building despite its horrendous <laughs> ventilation, um, <laughs> which, which, which I can definitely vouch for. Day 39 of coronavirus lockdown and Hodgie's in the priory room after getting smashed in Magaluf. No, only kidding. He's smashing it out the park with a new podcast instead. You can subscribe on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, or listen in on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash mycoronapodcast. Make sure and sign up to the My Corona Podcast on Facebook and follow at mycoronapods on Twitter. Share and rate to make us look great. I think there are reasons that we can look at how this is going to turn into into a positive, isn't it? So some of the people that were maybe in some of, I don't like this word, but maybe more menial jobs or or functionary kind of thing, people that might have been overlooked, like cleaners, like like staff in shops, Mm -hmm. like all of that, I think there's going to be a new found appreciation for for people that do those jobs. Um, Potentially... I was just going to say, I wrote a, wrote a piece a few weeks ago, uh, or it was two or three weeks ago for Glasgow Live, just before I got furloughed, um, about, you know, why supermarket workers, I was just singling them out because that's a you know world that I had experience in a few years back. But uh, people like that, when this all ends, we should be, there should be a newfound appreciation for them because you see even in, in good times how much supermarket workers are patronised and exploited and the, the abuse that they take from impatient customers. And now these are people essentially on the, and I hate using sort of war analogies and war terminology, but, you know, they, if you want to go down that road, they're on the front line of, of all this, you know, yeah. and they're doing it for not exactly fantastic wages and they're having to put up with 
so not just the usual nonsense that supermarket workers have to put up with, but they're also, in many cases, certainly at the start of all this, there was a lack of protective equipment. Um, people hadn't got used to or wouldn't accept social distancing. I've not been to a shop because I've been stuck in here and I get my deliveries, but I hear the, the horror stories and, you know, see people like that, when all this comes out, they, they're going to really, um, you, you've got to hope that people in, you know, as you say, cleaners, supermarket workers, um, carers, they, there is a newfound appreciation for them and that we don't just regress back to taking those people for granted. Yeah, definitely. I mean, another element is there might be improved communication as well because people are being forced to find more innovative and, and different ways to do stuff. So I'll give you an example. Um, a lot of people are doing online quizzes and that kind of thing. I've actually mm-hmm. always wanted to do one of those murder mystery things. And the first one right. I'm going to do is actually going to be done via webcam. I'm going to play a Northern Irishman from Belfast called Macaroon in um, some um, some script or, or whatever. And it was an old friend from university that was looking for people. And I decided I would channel my, my old thespian spirit, which is still alive and well, despite 10 years of neglect. Um, and I, like, I mean, just, just things like that. It's like people are finding new ways to be together, um, even when they're mm-hmm. not together. And I think that improved communication could be could could, could be a really positive thing. Um, any thoughts on that yourself, Sandy? The I, just to just to sort of again build up from from Adam's point, I think that um, you know people are finding new appreciation for for people that we didn't really um, think about so much before. Um, and I say that for, for as someone who did work in a supermarket for a number of years. Um, so, you know, you, you, you do have an appreciation for people who are out there and providing the kind of services that's keeping everything going. Um, so hopefully, you know, we will have that newfound appreciation once this is done. Although um, there's quite interesting research in terms of, you know, if we experience um, major uh, changes of circumstances. We usually change our behaviours for about six months afterwards. Then everything returns to the baseline. See, so this is that, why we got you on for that scientific data, mate. Nice one. <laughs> so what, what, what we'll have to do if, if, if we really want to keep this going in terms of the appreciation is to, to, for people to you know, give that constant reminder. Remember when we were in that situation and these were the people who, it wasn't the footballers, it wasn't even the politicians in most cases. Um, it was the people um, on, on that front line that, that kept things going. And in terms of the communication, um, yeah, th- th- there's loads of new ways that people are finding to, to connect with each other. And I think um, going back to the earlier point about how people can help themselves if they are feeling anxious and, and uh, stressed, is like check in with your friends as much as possible if you are mm-hmm. feeling like you're you're a bit overwhelmed you're a bit stressed reach out to somebody i know that's such a cliche and sometimes it can be hard but the thing is and especially i've noticed with with clients uh, myself one of the things i'll say to them is if they say to me look i really want to have a conversation with my da- my dad or my mom or this pal i haven't spoken to for years uh, but it's really difficult and i'll say to them well it's only difficult to start but, you know, if you just make, take that, you know, take that step just to reach out to somebody and say, how are you doing? You know, or I, I need to speak to somebody or can you help me? I'm not feeling good today. I just need somebody to chat to. Um, then the kind of ball rolls quite quickly after that uh, more often than not. Um, so I, I think that, hope, and Adam had mentioned earlier on as well about people being more aware of their emotions, more aware of their feelings. And I, I hope 
that after this, uh, people will have more conversations, not just about yeah. mental health and about how they're feeling, but also just let's get together and have a game of Fitbit or let's get together and have a few jokes or whatever it is that people will become more connected. Cause I think that's something that has been missing. And now people are starting to realize that actually, like you say, with your um, thespian um, tendencies, um, <laughs> you're getting back into that. You're, you're, you're kind of appreciating that because before you would have been distracted, you would have been you know, caught up in your life and now you've kind of reevaluated and thought, actually I'm into that and I should be doing more of that. That's what, that's what really uh, matters to me. That's, that's something that I value that I've not given time to before now. Um, and I'm hoping that people are going to reconnect with that as well as with each other as well. Yeah, I think there's going to be a bit more of that kind of community spirit that we're alluding to. And also things like you say that, you know that there's been such an engagement um, for years. People are always valuing themselves by what they're earning, what kind of car they're driving, how big's their house, mm-hmm. the materialism, the, the sort of rat race focused mindset where it's all about career, it's all about work, and it's all about achievement and intangible sort of measurable by financial means or whatever terms, right? Um, or, or, or by in terms of the gravitas of the, the job that you're doing or whatever. I think what you might find after this is that people are more interested in just doing what makes them happy. Uh, and I think that that is part of the, the sort of mindfulness and, and, and kind of stuff I believe as well, Sandy, is that you have that sort of outlook, looking at what's good for you and what you enjoy and what, what allows you to channel what you want to channel rather than just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do the overtime so that I can put the deposit down in my new house or, or whatever, you know? Um, and then in sort of wider terms as well, you look at things like the environment. So you look at the canals in Venice sort of being clear. I saw a thing about pollution being down in Glasgow, um, which is obviously quite locally sort of meaning to us by, by a, like a, a massive drop. So airs are cleaner, water's cleaner, all of these things by virtue of humans being allowed to do less damaging human things. So what's the lesson and, and, that, that can be learned there well that's probably quite simple to answer it's like let's stop polluting the planet let's stop ruining this amazing gift that we've got through the the wonder of creation um but how how do we manage to make sure then that as as, a, as humans and as a collective that we do actually learn the lessons from this and maybe use this as a pivot point to, to build a better world um both for ourselves and for for, for animals for ecosystems for all of it so it's interesting that you mentioned that phrase pivot point, you know. Um, so quite often when people strive for status and they strive for uh, attention, let's say, especially you see that in social media, certainly, um, they're kind of yearning for uh, that acknowledgement to be respected, to be valued, to be heard. Um, and, and that does kind of come from your childhood because, you know, you spend the first few years of your childhood, everybody dotes on you. If you've got a decent enough family, of course, you know, you, everybody dotes on you, your, you, all your demands are met almost. So, and then you kind of transition from that into like people don't do as much for you as you, you get older. So you're always kind of trying to come back to that idea of trying to feel important, trying to seem important, trying to be useful. Um, but we often kind of, um, chase after these things in unhelpful ways. So, you know, people will think that, well, because I've got a good job and a lot of money or because I've got, um, 
you know, a, a huge presence on social media or I've got a, a book out or whatever, or I've got a program, then that, that establishes me as somebody who's, 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 who's worth something. But I, I would hope that what people are starting to see through this lockdown is that actually what makes somebody matter is like, if you think ahead to your funeral, nobody's going to say, well, that guy had 100,000 followers on Twitter. How impressive was that? What they're going to say is, you know, this person you know, took the time to give me their time. They, 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 they were very helpful. They were kind. Um, they helped me when I was down, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's about trying to reconnect again with, with what you really value and to try and, I don't know, connect with yourself and connect with others in meaningful ways that you don't have to chase status. Essentially, it's about struggling against yourself. You're, you're mm. kind of always fighting towards the ideal self, what I should be, how I should be living up to other people's expectations, society's expectations. When actually a lot of people are finding out now that you don't need to do that and you feel better for it when you stop. So, you know, when you pivot towards making, you know, trying to, from trying to strive for stuff, for more stuff, as George Carlin would put it, you know, you've just got stuff and you've got stuff to keep your stuff in. Um, when you pivot away from that and towards just connecting with other people in meaningful ways, then that makes all the difference and you feel better for, within yourself and you make others feel better as well. And I'm looking forward to the movie in future where um, you've got the President of the United States advocating bleach as a, as a means of tackling <laughs> this. And people, like historians in years to come will go, nah, no chance, but there we go. Uh, it was just a joke though. Um, Tom Hanks uh, could, well, I saw that he was allowing his blood to be used for a vaccine. So is there a potential situation where um, there's obviously going to be movies and, and, and at least a movie of this um, so could we have the guy that um, helps to allow the vaccine to be created playing himself in the movie, Meta? What do you think? <laughs> I think there's going to be all kinds of art made about what's going on uh, at the moment. Is uh, Aside from anything else, writers have now got a whole lot of time on their hands. Um, and everyone will be, <laughs> once this is over, in a scramble to make the defining or the definitive coronavirus movie and all the rest of it. I don't you know, I don't think it was a particularly good idea, but I watched Contagion <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, just a sort of morbid curiosity. Um, and it actually was a pretty good film. And there were a lot of kind of resemblances to um, the discussions and uh, the, the consequences that we're experiencing just now. Um, I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, coronavirus art and probably a lot of not very good coronavirus art. <laughs> well, um, I like you know, that. Whoever did, uh, but Paul Greengrass did the uh, United '93. If uh, yeah, if he if he can do a coronavirus film, I'd watch that. Ah, right, well, that that's a good shout. Um, what would you watch, Sandy? Also, just quickly, um, picking up on the point you said about writers having plenty of time in their hands, I think it's a common misconception among people that that's not the case all the time, you know. Um, but actually, <laughs> for once, writers do have a bit of time in their hands. But in terms of the who, who's your sort of dream, let's say, cast and director, then Sandy, and I'll let you have a wee crack at this if you want as well. In terms of director slash key star for the coronavirus film, what do you think, Sandy? I think I would pass that back to Adam. But what I'm looking, what I'm looking forward, <laughs> what I'm looking forward to is um, all the sort of uh, think pieces about how people miss the solitude of the lockdown. Um, yeah. I think there's oh, going to be a kind yeah, of deluge of uh, you know simpler times, <laughs> you know, um, and there'll be one of the, the movie I would like to see actually is 
I mean, you'll get all the kind of doomsday stuff. And, and to be fair, Stephen King's already been there with the stand. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. sort of been done. Um, I would quite like to see a movie where um, you kind of had, a, you kind of have a, a vision of what could be a better world off the back of this um, and, and how that might look. Because people will probably incline towards the kind of doomsday, um, kind of dramatic, your uh, climactic finish, doomsday finish to this whole thing. Um, I would quite like to see the flip side. I don't know. Maybe maybe you could take the lead on that after you've done your um, murder mystery uh, role. <laughs> you could you could you could climb to greater heights. Yes, I say ascension in my um, career and life and, and spiritual journey. Let's say. Um, by the way, just for the record, since you didn't answer the question, I'll chime in. I reckon Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale teaming up Oof. after and another kind of harking back to the power of the Batman films. You know, um, I would take. I tell you who I would take. I would take. Did you see the film? Was it a few months ago? The Lighthouse with uh, Robert Pattinson no, and Willem Dafoe. No, um, but I love right, Willem Dafoe. Right, well, I would take the guy who directed that, um, Robert Eggers, I think. Um, I would take him, because that was a film about two people um, cooked up together in extreme circumstances and the sort of bizarre uh, consequences of that. So I I would watch that, um, but I'd have Michael Shannon starring in it because he's brilliant and everything. Yes, not a bad shout there. Are you going to have a crack, Sandy, or are you ducking out? I'm just really disappointed nobody mentioned Ben Affleck. (laughs) <laughs> screenwriter par excellence remember that's it I hope you mention Batman and forget that man's name it's beyond me <laughs> I feel I should do an Adam West impression but um, I, I don't think I've got the kapow within me to, to, to pull that off <laughs> what's all this nonsense they're talking about Chick chock my ass but if you're listening then get on all the bloody platforms and subscribe and rate and follow and share You've got SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, and then now it's hooked up to your phone on iTunes and whatever the bloody hell Samsung uses. So start showing some support, you lazy little sods. That's twice we've heard from Mr. Royal in consecutive podcasts now. Get some new impressions, Hodgie. But... Any of you guys listening should definitely heed his advice. If you want to keep on top of this, then get on the SoundCloud site, which is soundcloud.com slash mycoronapodcast, and it will be available fairly eminently to to sign up on using all the podcast platforms. That will make sure you get fresh episodes delivered each week to your phone or listening device. Also, it goes without saying, get in about the social media. It's on at mycoronapod on Twitter. Um, Search for the My Corona podcast on Facebook, and I... Me, myself, and I. I'm, of course, at Hodgie the Hack on Twitter. That's H-O-D-G-E-Y the Hack, all one word. That should just about wrap things up for the second episode of My Corona Podcast. So, troops and troopettes, thanks once again for joining us. I hope that we Cosmo went down a treat. But see, now that I'm thinking about it, the kick came more at the start, and then it got sweeter towards the end. So can you think of a drink that, that, that kind of is like that, Trips, where it's kind of, it's minging to start with, or well, at least strong tasting, uh, and then it kind of gets nice and sweet, nice sweet finish. So any suggestions there, boys? Uh, I'll go for a Calippo. <laughs> that's what, that's what, if I was outside uh, in the sun, that's what I'd, I'd be be squeezing the calippo to get the orange juice out of it so that that'd be my it's cold too cold to drink at the start and then perfect by the bottom there you go okay okay and i like the fact it's non-alcoholic that suits me down to a treat being a mm-hmm. teetotaler um what about yourself sandy 
Well, I'm, I'm going to hark back to your uh, initial suggestion and say maybe a Jaeger bomb. Right, okay. I, I can see that. Because either mm. you've got the kick at the same sort of time, but then the, the sweetness does actually linger, doesn't it? Um, so uh, yeah, I, after, after, after you've had your first four or five, you don't really notice the kick anyway. It's all just sweet <laughs> from there on. Excellent. Right, um, Adam, where can our listeners find your work? Uh, right, so my Twitter account is at oldfirmfacts1. Um, I also do. Uh, I also write columns for Glasgow Live and The Record. And, Award-winning uh, well, columns. Moment, oh, thanks, for, thanks, thanks very much. Yeah, I've won uh, the SFSA Best Writer Award the last couple of years. Um, sorry? Uh, just whoop whoop, I'm giving you a whoop. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know if that was coming from the neighbours or from this podcast. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm furloughed just now, so don't expect too many new columns in the next few weeks. But you can get the the tweets and all that on at Old Firm Facts One. Excellent, Sandy. Where is the best place to find your fine self, other than getting a plane to Malaysia, which is probably an impossibility right now? Well, one of the reasons why I'm quite happy at the moment is I'm not on social media. Except for Facebook, oh, which really? is private. Yeah, you patched yeah, your Twitter. Why did you patch Twitter? Because that was something I, I'm, I always enjoyed your musings on. There. Well, maybe that's for another episode. But what I would say is, um, I, I would really recommend that people check out Adam's work because um, you know I, I was a huge fan before you had mentioned he was on, and I didn't actually know he was behind the Old Firm Facts uh, social media. So, but it's it's really funny stuff and very insightful as well. So, if you haven't read his stuff. Uh, get on that. It's, it's, it's very good stuff. All that remains for me is to ask you both your song choices for our listeners to play after the pod. So um, have you got something in mind there? Okay, well, uh, yeah, so I've got uh, Fantastic Man by William Onyebor. And if that doesn't put a smile on your face, it's about the most upbeat song um, that I've heard in my life. And I listen to it regularly. And if even one person discovers that as a result of this podcast, podcast, then that's a win. Well, I'd say so. Also, I suppose semi-autobiographical for you. Fantastic, Manny. Eh? <laughs> um, there we go. Uh, Sandy, what about you, mate? I'm going to go a wee bit more uh, mainstream and old school and maybe suggest Elbows uh, One Day Like This. Oh, a bit more cerebral. I like that. Not that I know William on you, but by the way, I'm looking forward to playing that myself. So his, his song might be cerebral, but um, Elbow definitely so. <laughs> um, why'd you go for that, Sandy? Just because it's a fun, happy tune. And I think it's one of those songs that when you are kind of feeling a bit, you know, kind of is overwhelmed or, or whatever. It, for me, anyway, it has that kind of potential to sort of lift you a little bit. Um, and just remind you that, 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 that things shall pass. And, and as you mentioned before, things will get better. Uh, so it's just kind of keeping that in mind. Excellent. So that's good. I'm going to go for something quite simple and probably semi-generic and maybe not particularly fitting given today's weather. But you too, beautiful day. Let's have it, troops. Excellent. Thank you to Adam Miller. Um, thanks for having me on. Thanks to Sandy Clark. A pleasure as always. Thanks for having me on. And thanks to you for listening, Troops and Troopettes. We'll be back with another podcast soon. But in the meantime, stay safe and stay sane. Now get those tunes playing.